Hello and welcome to the Authentic Wednesday podcast. Each week, my guest and I share our vulnerable behind the scenes stories of giving ourselves permission to take off our masks, let go of our expectations and embrace our own path of freedom and authentic connection. I'm your host, Bianca Hughes, a lover of authenticity and a licensed professional counselor in Georgia. Hello and welcome to the Authentic Wednesday podcast. Happy New Year if you are listening to this on the 1st of January or just in January in general, wherever you're listening to this. So for those of you who are struggling to make goals or struggling to make New Year's resolutions, I am with you guys in regards to I actually don't make New Year's resolutions. I am more focused on a word for the year or words for the year, I have found that I don't ever stick to New Year's resolutions. Whilst I do have goals and I do have things that I do work towards, I really try not to get into the New Year's resolution thing because it creates a lot of stress and anxiety for me if I don't achieve them. So I just more focus on the word. One of my words this year that I have so far, see it's the first and I don't have all my words, which is totally fine, is adding value. So anyone I meet, anyone I come into contact with, I want to be able to add value to a life, be more intentional about adding value to their life or to interactions I have with people, which includes you people on the podcast too. And for those who have set resolutions or new goals, kudos to you. I really do hope you stick to them. And I really do hope you have an accountability partner and you don't get discouraged if you're not meeting them the way you thought that you would, but you're also flexible in the New Year's resolutions or the goals that you set for this year. So that's my little encouragement and my little added value for you guys for the beginning of the year and just to give you some empowerment. So this is episode six. 16 of the podcast and I'm really excited about this episode. I always listen back and for some reason whenever I listen back to the interviews that I do they always sound better the second time around. So I guess I'm just listening to it from a different perspective and that is the same with all of them. My guest on the show today is Dr. Lakeisha Holman. She is the founder and CEO of the Village Market ATL. Since 2016, Dr. Holman has been a transformational leader and speaker by bringing national exposure to Black-owned businesses. She has developed an economical vehicle that empowers the Black community through cooperative economics. Dr. Holman is a native of Batesville, Mississippi. An educator by passion, she began hosting masterclasses to provide tangible tools, resources, and connections to encourage forward progression as a community. The desire that launched the Village Market ATL only three months later was twofold, to support socially conscious, community-minded entrepreneurs and startups of color. Kidpreneurs is a unique facet of the market that gives kids a taste of entrepreneurial life from the most grassroots level. With the feeling of family and community, attendees are eager to support and circulate their dollar to the many small businesses showcased at the village market. The village market welcomes thousands of attendees showcasing hundreds of vetted 
Black-owned companies from across the country and its staple, a plant-based cafe. So I'm really excited and there's just a lot of wisdom and a lot of gems in this podcast. So let's go ahead and get into the conversation. Welcome, Dr. Key. Do you prefer to be called Dr. Key? What do you prefer? Yes, Dr. Key is fine. You want to call me Dr. Harmon? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you prefer. Really official, really official. No, Dr. Key is absolutely fine. Well, welcome to the Authentic Wednesday podcast. How are you? I'm so well. I'm so excited about this conversation. So, so am I. You are like, um, I mean, I want to say everyone on my podcast is amazing because they're just so authentic. So I say that about everybody, that everyone's amazing. But um, you in particular, I have seen your authenticity, experienced your authenticity. Um, and I know, you know, there's a story behind all of that. So I'm looking forward to share this with everyone today. So my first question is always going to be, what is authenticity for you? Oh, really good question. Way to start the conversation, by the way. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, So authenticity to me is, of course, a very layered reflection of myself. Authenticity changes because as we get to be exposed to more parts of who we are and why we are, the way we show up in the world is transformed. So being able to be malleable and open to learning parts of yourself that you didn't know and then confronting the parts of yourself that needs to grow and being honest, as honest as you can with how you show up in the world and why you show up that way. To me, that's authenticity. And when times are deeply trying, being able to say, this is a very hard time for me. If no one else than just to yourself, it's the most authentic truth, the vulnerability. And it takes, it's, it's just a journey. It's a course, a marathon, but it, it transforms with every new season. Wow. I like the transformation piece. Love it. And you hit upon, I'm so glad you talked about vulnerability because, you know, I was scouting your social media and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you said, you said, um, vulnerability set you free. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes. Uh, so I was raised in, in Mississippi and I share with people, I was uh, really encapsulated with a very powerful community, very powerful village of black people affirming me and white people affirming me as well. But the, another part of that affirming is how, as a Black woman, I had to be in the world. My mother would tell me that my reputation is everything, the only thing that I had. And next to that, in order to be strong in this world and to be resilient in this world, so there was really no time and no place for emotion. And she would say these things, and here goes her little emotional child. Whatever I felt, I felt it fully. If it was joy, it would come all the way out of my being. If it was sadness, it would come in a form of tears out of my eyes. Very sensitive being. Um, but with my mother's, the way she raised us, especially my sister and myself, was to be strong. And strong men in this world, there's really not a place for the added emotions of life. But you cannot be successful that way. And so when I share and I write about vulnerability and I speak about vulnerability so much, it's because the day that I really became my full self 
in fullness is a constant evolution. It's the day that I realized that every one of my tears was just another symbolic form of my strength. Oh, I would cry so much freer. I would feel so much freer. I was, would say, I'm a sensitive soul. The same way I would say, I embody Black girl magic. They, they were synonymous. But I remember when I used to be embarrassed about being sensitive and that, yeah, I felt like I had to hide that because I was raised that strength can be, cannot be sourced from that place. And, and in vulnerability, that's where your strength, that's where you find the source of your strength. Wow. I'm uh, getting teary because I think I can relate to, well, not I think, I know I can relate to that sensitive, being sensitive. I'm definitely that sensitive and I definitely relate to that not <laughs> being honored, <laughs> honored. I don't know if I want to say honored or welcomed, um, especially as a, as a black person or, or even known how to dealt with. But some of the times I just don't, you know, I like my family, but and I love them, but I just don't think they knew how to deal with that, especially my mom. Oh my gosh. When she listens to this, she's going to be like, ah, <laughs> But she's so much better now. And so I definitely array and it made me teary to it. It kind of reminds me there's this part of you that has you have to cut off. And when you cut off a part of you, mm-hmm. um, you don't you're not fully you. You're not fully that person. And so it's like you're you're dying inside. So I think that's what kind of made me teary is that, you know, relating to that sensitive, not being always nourished, but then being set free when you're like, okay, this is okay. And it is, it is a still strength in that sense. So I definitely it is. relate to that. Did you feel cut off? Did you feel, did you feel that? Did I feel cut off? Yeah. Um, I felt very compartmentalized. I felt in some spaces I could be in some spaces I can't be. And that's not just to my rearing, but the world only allows so much of us in any space. And whatever the world says, in this space, you can be that. We lose parts of ourselves because we have to subtract who we are from that space just to fit in. So there were times when I needed to feel and I would just hoard it inside of my stomach and inside of my chest because I couldn't allow the feeling to come out because I thought it would interrupt my purpose. It would interrupt my ability to do my work. It would interrupt the way I show up in the world that now people are going to believe that I'm soft and I was raised to be strong and to be a leader. What I learned about vulnerability, I'm, I'm deeply connected to the environment and to nature. And actually, when I wrote about vulnerability set me free, I was on a hike and there was this flower that was sitting that's literally etched on the side of a mountain. And I thought about if I clipped this flower off, no one would be able to identify what this flower was by just because of its stem. And if we don't show up in the world fully, no one can identify really who we are because the only thing we left was the stem. And cutting ourselves off, we take away the flower. And the flower is how people identify what the magic is. And I just don't I have no desire to live in a world full of stems. And no one would be able to see just how beautiful and complete I am. That's a great analogy. I love that. The stem and the flower. Wow. <laughs> it's so much goodness. I don't even know what way to go now. <laughs> um, I always like to talk about, because, you know, it has set you free. And you mentioned a bit about having to be strong and your mom, you know, you know, 
of course, doing it from a good place. How mm-hmm. did that? How did that impact you though, growing up, um, having to cut this part of you off in a way, or kind of shut it down? I believe it impacted me the most by becoming chiseled in ways that I didn't want to be chiseled. So even now in my adult life, this place of authenticity and vulnerability is according to what space I'm in. If someone is being too emotional, my mind thinks like my mother. Like we, we, we meaning we have to focus. We have, we have a job to do here. Cry later. And when I hear myself, I correct myself immediately. Because what I asked for was to be able to hear the love that my mother was only trying to protect me from. She's first generation Mississippi. And Mississippi by itself is enough to tell a black woman what she cannot do in the world in order to succeed. So her that advice came from a very pure place of love and wanting the best for us. But when I can I can hear it in me sometimes. And in, other, in those times, I'm most aggravated with myself because now I'm echoing the very words that made me feel shackled as a child, that made me blink away my tears really quickly or go and run and hide outside and, and cry behind a tree. And then make sure when I walked in the house that, that my face was dry and my eyes were clear. Or if something hurt me deeply, I just like take that deep, how like if you get a if someone punch you in the stomach, I just learned not not to squirrel out the pain. I just learned to just suck it in, and I believe that's what happens when your true authentic being, well, how you show up in the world, has been stifled. You just learn to suck it in, and it grows in other places, and it shows up in other places. You find yourself morphing into the very thing that hurt you the most. Yeah, <laughs> that's so common. I often talk with clients about that and they're like, and I know I do it too. Um, oh, I, said, I swear I would never do that like my parents did or my mum did or, yeah. you know, or whoever their caregiver was. Like there are times though <laughs> I do stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's my mum. But actually some of it is helpful. <laughs> And I'll be like, oh, I know now I know why she did did it or said that. Right. It makes more so much more sense. But then there's just like you, those other times where it's like, I said I wouldn't do this. And often I share with clients is like instead of saying I wouldn't do it like my mom or I'd never be like my parents, it's kind of embracing what they took, what they gave you and where it came from, and then just deciding what you know, how you're gonna live your life versus how I'm going to live my life different from my parents. Because when you're always comparing to your parents or your caregivers, um, you just end up like them. <laughs> it's just, yes. It just or happens. Or I think you know, it just happens. In this space of consciousness and a space of growth is to be able to really do a deep assessment of how we was raised and having that honest conversation with our souls that our parents did not have a blueprint. Yes. That a lot of their decisions were made from a place of desperation and pain that they experienced in their own childhood. Yes. And so for us not to experience whatever that was, then they create barriers in our lives that they feel are buried, barriers of protection. But given how hard their life was, that is a, that's a space of, listen, you too emotional. You need to stop all this crying. Because that means someone beat that out of her or out of him. 
I, I totally agree that they just did what they knew with what they had. They just did what they knew. Yeah. So I just learned to take, cause I tell everyone my mother is, my, she's of course transitioned now, but she's the most impressive person I've ever met in my life. And I'm grateful that God has placed me in a room with people who are deemed to be very important and special beings. I'm very grateful for that. But I haven't met anyone who I want to be like, meaning embrace the finer, the finest parts of womanhood than my mother. That's beautiful. Yeah, she was a rock star. That didn't mean that did not mean that she always knew how to raise a little Care Bear kid, though. But she was amazing with an adult amazing with the adult version of me mm, really absolutely 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 because then i also knew the words to say well listen you have this this little emotional being who likes to give you big hugs and who likes to say i love you who likes to bring you flowers and want to sit and walk with you you have me so that has to be in you too what happened to her and then that leads to a different conversation of discovery and if we can, like, discover who our parents were, then we can even understand the generational things that's within us that doesn't make sense. Yeah, and that 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 is so true, and it's so hard to get to at the same time because of it the is. pain, because of the pain that's been caused by parents, like you said, the misunderstanding, um, the things that we don't share and talk about. It, but... It is like, especially with the moms, I know we talk about the dads a lot, but I always talk about the moms because the moms are there and they carry so much and do so much. But um, because the face is not, the space is not facilitated or it's encouraged or we don't even share that we're not in a position. And I always encourage people like when you have done your own work, then you're in a position to see, you know, your parent like a person. Like I remember, you know, my mom's name's yeah. my mom's name's Sandra, and I'm like, I have to stop seeing her as mom and see her as Sandra. There are times when she's mom, and there's times when oh, she's Sandra. You know, she's um, like you said, all these amazing things, but she's also not perfect and is going to make all these mistakes or made mistakes or dumb things that you know she knew the best what to do. Um, but I think that I had to get healthy to do that. And I think that's sometimes what's so hard is that if we're not healthy, it's difficult to see our parents as humans. Yes. And when we get healthy, that's where we can start seeing people with the, the, the vision and the lens of grace. To me, the healthiness is what allows grace to come in. And so with grace is when you, when you can see your mom as Sandra and I can see my mom as Carolyn. Because grace allows them to be just women who were trying to figure this thing out. That's grace. Grace is being able to see them fully and to know that even if my mother was still alive, there would be certain things that I would not talk to her about. But then there would be other things that I would because... (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. Nobody said that when she died that she wasn't a G anymore. This lady was still a little hardcore five three G. So you you still had to have your your feelings intact. That didn't change. But grace a grace allowed me to see and talk to her in spaces when I needed the G. When I needed that tough mom. So I can learn how to be in this world and and then clothe myself in tough skin. 
But then grace also made me made me appreciate and understand that my mother was did not have to be everything to me. That's why we have a family and that's why we have have a village. Yeah, the village is so important, the community. Yeah. Um totally agree. Thank you. How long has it been since your mom passed transitioned? It has been almost eight years. Okay. Okay. Does mm-hmm. that still impact you? Oh yeah. So I am very family oriented. Mm-hmm. My parents had us when they were very young themselves and they were 31. Uh, they had been married for 31 years when my mother transitioned and she had just turned 50. No, no, she was 50 and getting ready to turn 51 when, when she transitioned. But we were very, very close. And I, I was also one of the people who spent a great amount of time with her in illness and in, ha- and in happiness. So we were just very, very close. And to lose that, I felt that I lost one of my lungs. It took me a long time to learn how to breathe again. And sometimes I'm very shocked that I'm breathing with two lungs and that I can walk outside and can see color. Because for at least a year, on the sunniest and prettiest days, I could only see gray. And I showed up in the world as I, as if I was fine, because I was raised by a mother who taught me how to be fine no matter what. But internally, I would be angry some days that I woke up and I was still here. I, so I struggled immensely in private when my mother died because um, I still had a little sister who I had to be there for. And my other siblings as well. And of course, all the other demands of the world, my nephew and things like that. So you can't completely fall apart, but there's also not a lot of people when you're the person in your family that everybody pulls on and call on for a source of joy joy and a source of support. You don't have a lot of laps that you can, you can cry on. And so literally I'm very surprised sometimes that I'm, I'm here and that I've been able to get on the other side of it. But I miss my mother every day. It's just how I, how that shows up now is just completely different. Yeah, it's just different. Yeah, but I also did the work of feeling all of it. And I got a therapist. There's a plug, everybody. <laughs> I, I, I got a therapist. What did you do? Who did you go to? Oh, right. I was, I was, it was a buildup. It was a buildup. I was like, da 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 da. <laughs> I got an amazing therapist. And when I walked in, because I'm so of who I, so much of who I am, um, I was like, so I don't know how to do this, but I also don't know how to do the thing that just happened in my life. Yeah. And I don't know how to talk to you because this is strange. So I don't want you to look at me a lot when I'm talking because then I'm going to shut down. So I need you to let me look over here so I can just talk and cry and let me do this the first couple sessions. Me, of course, being, being the controlling person I am, telling this lady how to lead a session with me. Um, but I was honest with her that I didn't... I. I didn't know how to do that, but I also did not know how to live without my mom. And I didn't want for me in the journal and the things that I wrote uh, right after my mom died is that I didn't want, I don't want to be jaded. I don't want to be mad at God. 
I don't want to be mad at environment. I don't want to be mad at anybody. I want to be able to remember the flowers. And that was the last sentence I wrote. And I got to Atlanta. Within 72 hours, I had my first therapist. And I'm so grateful that my therapist was who she was because she allowed me to look at the wall and cry and to tell her everything without interrupting me. I tell everyone that if you get the right therapist, you get an opportunity to talk to a version of God. And in that version of God is that God doesn't give us all the answers, but lead us to the source. And so that's what I felt that my first therapist did for me is that she didn't, as it wasn't her job to give me the answers, but she gave me some very specific tools. And she also gave me a space to not be all the things that I had to be in the world. I didn't have to be a big sister with her. I didn't have to be Dr. Key with her. I didn't have to be any of those things. I could be a person who lost their mother at 28 years old. And I begged God to not take her. Were you angry at God? Uh, Thankfully, I was angry with God when my mother got sick. Um, because I'm a researcher, you know, we, we understand science. And is, is, if you are an analytical person, it really doesn't matter how much faith you have. You pull from faith, you, and then you also pull from research, too. So, yeah, I did my research, and I was like, this is not good. Um, so I was really mad at God for that. I was like, why, why can't you just give her something that she could heal from? These are very direct, clear conversations that I would have with God. And, and I was really upset because... I felt that she in, in, in her life had already experienced so much abuse, being a young girl who was a runner, a high school dropout, a lot of dealt with severe depression. I was like, God, like, can you chill? Why did you do this too? We finally got to the place where we could, where she could start feeling a little bit more resilient in her being. And then here we go with this. So initially, I was very, very upset with God because I was always trained that God wouldn't put more on you than you can bear. But there are some people that's been bearing since they were 11 and 12 years old. And that's my mom's story. So physical abuse and things like that. And now having an, a chronic illness where there's a death sentence to that in Mississippi. So, oh, yeah, God and I had a, a time. I was very, very angry openly angry too so when I was as I'm talking to you it's kind of how I would talk to God and you angry oh yeah oh yeah but this was kind of the best tone I had though but God understands that this was the legit serious tone (laughs) like I'm big mad (laughs) right (laughs) I cannot imagine you angry I'm not saying you cannot be angry I'm not saying I know you can yeah yeah, but this was the cadence. This is how it worked. This is my big mad voice. But I learned, you know, through that experience that grace still comes if the answer had to be my mother had to transition. That God still loves. We still live on a very real planet, real environment, real illness, in connection to food and connection to stress, all of it. Um, so I learned to just find peace in, in all these things and decide to relate to God differently. And more so ask God, how do I be her daughter and her friend in this space? Because that's what I always wanted to be able to be one of my mom's friends in a way that we could be friends. You know, I'm Mississippi raising, so, you you know, she was never the homie. But 
yeah, but how could I give her a safe space where we can kind of just laugh and talk about life? And then how could I be a daughter and find the strength to pick up her up out of a bed, put her in a car, and take her to the hospital and not cry? And these are things that I ask God for. And he and he she did it time and time and time again. So with the many conversations I've had with God, I've all, I also thank God. Thank you so much for loving, giving grace the way that you give it. Yeah. Wow. That's mm-hmm. beautiful. And he gave it. And um, he gave it. You said something. Tell me about that control part of you. <laughs> <laughs> this type A full Scorpio October baby energy <laughs> who feels that I I literally have to control every part of my life. I don't other people like we let them do that thing. But my life, um is <laughs> 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 my life, I really um I'm just always so clear with what I want and how I want things to be done. Uh, now, because of that, that doesn't always make you the easiest person to work with. So I'm sure I have annoyed so many people mm. because, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm one of those that if I see a vision in my mind, I, I can only stick to the script that's in the vision. And I work really hard. I work from a high place, place of excellence. And I'd rather do it myself than to drag someone along to get them to do it right. I've learned, though, I've learned the power of empowering other people through delegation and trusting my ability to get the right people to help me in the ways that I need. But that wasn't that's not always the easiest. I've gotten better because I'm just always striving for betterment. But that's not a natural thing for me to kind of delegate, ask for help, because I really sometimes think I'm the best one that can do it. So that's a lot of ego, right? <laughs> <laughs> I have learned that maybe someone maybe. Else, maybe there's a part that someone else knows better or has a different vision that still might work. Yeah, it's difficult. It still might work. It it's is scary difficult. though, isn't it? To delegate. It is. When you're an entrepreneur and that and, and you know for black businesses, um, black women in business. We don't have a lot of opportunities to make mistakes. And I don't think that's us being too hard on ourselves. It's just the world in which we live in. If we fail, then we're going to hear from our community. Then we won't get another, maybe we won't get another chance here. In the white world, sometimes you're not even given a chance. But if you do give a chance, it's like, oh, man, so there goes another black woman business. And when that when you fail in that space, you don't fail as a singular person. You fail for every woman that was going to come after you. That is a lot of pressure. And so when you know that you live with all these different confines, it forces you to feel, well, I just got to do it myself because then at least I know it's right. But there are people, if you've ever worked for someone, then people hire us every day and they trust us to do it right. And they go through the vetting process. They check our references. They do performance evaluations. We should take that same level of assessment evaluation in our own things and trust it because larger corporations do it every single day. They find the best talent. It doesn't matter how amazing the CEO and the president is, they find the best talent to move them forward. And that's what that's the space that I'm in now. But that wasn't a natural space for me. 
that sounds like the uh but natural because of who you are and I think also like you said the environment but it definitely sounds like mm-hmm. you had the superwoman uh, yes. syndrome <laughs> I know yes. the superwoman syndrome about that. right yeah the superwoman yeah what enabled you I know you know you've mentioned it and we've talked about it to well let me ask you this question because you know when we have the superwoman syndrome it's definitely we've got to do it all but we're wearing a mask Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you know we've talked a bit about you know and I know you talk a lot when we had the will to be wow about taking off the mask can you name the mask that you have on or sometimes that you might put on Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think one of the the masks that I wore initially is that I had the answers to the thing, no matter what the thing was. Mm. So that means if I had to stay up all night and research the answer, the next day I was going to have one for you. This is more when I was in corporate America. And so that was a mask of always being efficient. And no matter what room I walked in, I never admitted that I didn't know something or didn't know how to do something. I'm so grateful that that mask is lost in storage, lost the key. Because <laughs> you see that play on words, lost the key. That's yeah. <laughs> Um, but I'm so happy that that is gone. Like one of my favorite things now. I was like, I have no idea how to do that. I have no idea. Yeah, let me find someone who does. But that was the first. I, that is the mask that I know that I always had just sitting in the back pocket, waiting to grab it because I didn't want to be in a space that it didn't look like, in, in a space that probably somewhere preemptively in my mind that I thought I wasn't deserving to be in it anyway. And if you feel like you're not deserving to be in a space, then you always got to show your worth. So, and this, I think in one of those great books I read, there may be a bit of imposter syndrome. Am I correct? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the imposter syndrome. Yeah. But yes, it, yeah, you never feel like you're ever, ever there, ever have enough. Why am I here? Absolutely. Yeah. Place. Not good enough. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that mask would, that would be a reoccurring mask. I probably have them for every season. Uh, different forms of makeup, different hairstyles, but that mask would be the same. And, oh, I can't say enough. That has been one of the greatest forms of freedom in the power of vulnerability set me free. The One of the most vulnerable things that I do is be very radically honest about what I don't know. And I don't try to make myself know it. I refer to someone who does. Even if that means that could have been a form of, of currency for me, I turn it down and refer to someone else. That feels so good. Yeah. I think just, mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah. Having to have it all. I always tell my clients, I know they think I'm crazy, but I'm like, I don't have all the answers. And <laughs> they're looking at me like a deer in headlights. I'm like, I don't. Yeah. First of all, right. you know you better than <laughs> I do. So you probably have more answers, but I can definitely lead you to them. I can definitely yeah. help you find them, but I don't have all the answers. You know, I just... Like you said, when you realize it's okay not to have the answers, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know everything. Right. But neither do you. So, right. No. And it actually makes you cooler because this is what happens when you don't know all the things. You get to refer all your amazing friends who know the things you don't know. 
And then it shows people your your network. It's like, oh, it's not just this one person. This one person comes with all of these people. That's just so cool to me. It's People are a big thing for you. I know. Um, oh, yeah, very much so. Yeah. I know, of course, you've done the village marketplace, which we're not going to talk about too much. But um, that whole village um, support is a verb um, mm-hmm. and supporting the village and recognizing the power when we connect and when we help one another. You talked about here, I think one of your statements was um, cherish the people who have the ability to see you. That was mm-hmm. one of your Instagram posts, I think you shared from Twitter. And it just shows how much people mean to you. Another one you had, if you impact people, if you impact enough people, you won't have to worry about your income. Ever. Like ever, ever. Yes, ever. Ever, ever, ever. If you treat people well, when we talk about generational wealth, then you have it. That's the greatest investment that we can make is having the ability to see the people around us, to see their gifts and not be intimidated by them, but to see other people's gifts and be encouraged that you get to share space and opportunity with them. That to me, oh, it wakes me up in the morning. I try to share it everywhere I go is that all that we are, all that we will be is contingent upon our relationships with each other. Things in your life, things that you've been trained to do. You can take your resume and send it out, cast it to hundreds of people, and they could literally allow your resume to just sit there. And the one person who reads reads and see your name, like, I know her, you will pass every other applicant who applied for the very same thing because at, at one time you share space with someone who could see you. And when opportunity landed to the place when they, when you needed them to see you most, they referred you. That's why we see each other. Yeah. That's beautiful when you put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's why we here. It's not, it's not by any mistake that this life is lived with lots of people. Some make it to the next season, some don't. But no matter what, you're never void of people. How does that play in? Because I know you have a a lot of people pulling on you at all times. Even though you love people and you're there for the people, sometimes you do have a lot with the village marketplace, uh, how well that's doing. I know you're speaking. One of the things you mentioned, though, is the loneliness. Mm-hmm. Can you just share with mm-hmm. us quickly about that? Mm-hmm. Before I speak on the loneliness, I will say that I do have a lot of people who pull on me. I do have a big responsibility to the village. But I don't love any of the any of the things, any of the people more than I love myself. That's that's where I am in my life now. I love me the most. So what that means, if you're pulling on me on the day that I don't have anything to give, I don't find it to give it. I find it to give it to me. So when you call me again, I have something to offer you. But I love me the most. I love me more than I love the village. Because if I love me the hardest, then everything that I give to the village will be that of love. That means I've taken care of myself that I've spent time, I'd have to be in nature, so I've spent 
an insurmountable time in nature where I'm completely full from every part of my being. So when people start to pull, I don't feel pulled apart because I'm overflowing in love for self. But even with all these great things that's happening, I'm very fortunate. The village has grown. We get a lot of notoriety. I'm asked to speak at a lot of different places. And these things that I, that's so cool and I'm grateful for it. It doesn't matter. That doesn't mean that there are sometimes after amazing events that I have not driven home with tears streaming from my eyes because I really didn't feel like I had anyone I could call to share what this space has been for me and what it has not been for me. Because when life is going well, you're supposed to only talk about how great it is. How can you have a space of a, a, a space of constructive criticism when it looks like you're always winning? And so I, the loneliness that I write about is that how can I have joy and sadness and be able to talk to somebody about the sadness of all of this attention that comes with the village, and then they don't somehow hear and can't hear anymore that I'm equally pleased and grateful and happy, but they'll just latch on to the sadness. So that loneliness is not being able to just share with someone initially all of it, all that comes with success. Any successful person has had to lose and has suffered loss, loss of who they used to be, loss of friends, loss of interest. And sometimes I wish that I had certain interests, but I just don't. And that means there's times in Atlanta, there's not, there's not really places I can go because that's not the things I enjoy doing. That's hard when you want to sometimes like take some things out of your state of being so you can fit into a very normal version of yourself where you are very comfortable. That's so interesting you say that. So you don't have a hobby? Um, actually, but hobbies, uh, hobbies do not, as much as I enjoy all the things that I do, it doesn't take away that sometimes you need a whole person who you can talk to fully. So I can ride my bike all over Atlanta, right? I can hike. Yeah, I've hiked all over the world. I've ridden my bike all over the world. I've seen, I love going to small theaters and watching foreign films. It's kind of my like nerdy thing, but I love it. I love going to the theater. I love going to the opera. These things fill me up. I like going to the park and reading and writing and smiling at the trees. It makes me so happy. But there are days that I need to be able to talk to someone about some of the hurtful things that people can do to you when you're literally trying to do the best that you can. Are you looking for that person or hoping, praying that someone? Um, oh, I'm good now. Thankfully. Oh, now. Okay. Uh, oh yeah. I wasn't good though. It was really hard. Yeah. I'm good now. I've, I've been able to, because I didn't ask for that either. As much as I was saying that I was lonely, I didn't follow that with an action of what I needed. I just felt loneliness. And I was like, oh wait, well, anytime else I need something, there's an action that comes behind it behind it. Let me ask for what I need. God, send me some safe friends. That's what I ask for. And then all these safe people who all looking and seeking for the same thing and sharing the same thing about loneliness and being in a space of leadership, still very much in our 30s. So we don't know half the time because uh, we haven't lived long enough. And we laugh about the irony of life that we're supposed to have answers to things 
in this world has been here generations before us. The problems have been here generations before us. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Somehow you're supposed to have the answer. So I, I just wrote those intentions to send me safe friends, friends who could allow me to be exponentially who I am. And I got them. Isn't it beautiful when you have those friends? It is. I think the most beautiful part is understanding the only thing we have to do is be that ourselves first and then you attract it. I definitely agree with that. And it's, and it's a process. I also want people to understand to have those type of friends is, is sharing, being vulnerable to share about those, the joys and the sadness, and then saying what you need from them as well is what I have found. I don't know if you found the same thing as well. Yeah, it feels good. You, the, the more we live and the more we love ourselves, the more we, the more vulnerability, the more authenticity we practice. It's like any other law of attraction. You find who and what you are. And so you don't have to force yourself in any circle. Every day that you choose to show up being the best version of your, yourself, then the circle is already being drawn to you. And then you look around one day and you're surrounded by all these incredible beings and you wonder how you got there. You got there because you did the work. I like that. Can you say that part again? <laughs> the last yeah, part? That, that. <laughs> Uh-oh. Pressure, pressure, pressure. This is what I think I said. <laughs> But we, we do look around our life and we wonder how the people got there. All these good people, all these good things that's happening to us. And if we just sit back, we realize that there, we're here because we've done the work. Done the, done work. the work. You have to do the work. Yes. You have to do the work. You have to do the work. And I know that we're in a time of instant gratification. Many of you po- post a really cute pic. You at least have 100 people saying you're cute. That the work doesn't work that way, though. The, the work is not a part of the algorithm. It won't be liked a lot at first, but it will be the way you will be loved by your own self. Oh, it's just absolutely amazing. Man, you know, I can talk to you forever, right? <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is awesome. I love this conversation. It's exactly, you know, what I've wanted and people to, you know, all the conversations is people to understand, like, it's a beautiful journey, but then not a not so beautiful journey. But yet, it's worth it, you know? Absolutely. If you if you put in the work and, and prepare to, to be patient. So what's something you would like our listeners to know? About me? About life? life. About what? About life. About life? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, the good good question. You you're really good at this, by the way. Thank you. Um, what <laughs> I would love for all of us to be reminded because I think we know the things. Is that life sucks sometimes, but it doesn't stay that way. Just literally stay the course. Feel the things right now. Whatever it is, if it's heartbreak, feel it. Lay all over the floor. Don't get out of bed if you don't want to. Feel it. So you can go ahead and feel what the other side feels like. But it's not always going to be good, and we know that. Sometimes we have to be reminded that this not good space is very seasonal because this world is about balance. But if you stay the course, it's going to balance itself out. You're going to see yourself on the other side. You're going to thank God every single day that you survived it. So the way you show up in the world is going to be so luminous. And you're going to start attracting the people you want to attract. Then your dreams will no longer be deferred. They will be lived. You would change the trajectory of your family. But you will unearth things inside of you 
that people will look at you and say, I want to be like that. And we have to remember like the like that was a journey. And that life is truly for the great late Nipsey Hussle. Everything about life is a marathon. Every part of it. We have to condition ourselves to run it and enjoy the scenery that's around us and not rush into the finish line because it's only going to get pushed further and further and further away. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know our listeners would definitely appreciate that. Do you have any resources like books, podcasts, or just things that you do, even routines that you have helped you? along the way, especially in regards to authenticity? Yes. Um, this is probably a very unpopular answer, and I'm sorry, y'all, for everybody who's going <laughs> to listen to this. <laughs> I'm not going to give you a book to read. Mm. I'm sorry. I'm going to ask you to start writing your own story. Mm. I'm not going to give you a place to go other than walking around your own neighborhood. I'm not even going to give you a podcast to listen to. It's going to encourage you deeply to start listening to yourself and hearing what you say to yourself, because what you say to yourself is manifested. So basically, appreciate what's around you today. Write your own story. Everything you need is found there. And be quiet enough and a good steward of your own voice so you can hear the words that you say to yourself. And remember that we get nature every single day and we must spend time in it. Tree hugging is not your thing. It's my thing. You don't have to hug the tree, but at least feel the grass, feel the earth. Breathe in deep, deep breaths and exhale slowly. Beautiful. Where can we shower you with love? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's when I should be saying things about social media. I'm always so bad at this part. (laughs) It's okay. Love (laughs) at um, Dr. Key Holman. D-R-K-E-Y-H-A-L-L-M-O-N. I spend more time on Instagram, um, but Facebook is fine. I don't really understand Twitter, so I wouldn't advise that. And of course, you can shower my village uh, with all the love because I get to be a part of this incredible, incredible thing, which is the Village Market ATL. That's on all platforms, the Village Market ATL. And even if you don't do any of those things, when you whisper your prayers at night, I just ask that you hold at least three seconds for me. Thank you. Well, thank you so, so much with your wisdom and your love and just, you just shine through. Just what I experienced with you shine through on this podcast. So thank you. Uh, Thank you. If you connected with what you just heard, please subscribe, rate and review the podcast. You can stay connected by following our Instagram, Authentic Wednesday Podcast and visiting our website, AuthenticWednesday.com. Remember, authenticity is a journey, not a destination.